Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. Today, we're going to talk about commiserating with each other, the interesting origin of the word influenza and a few other disease names, and fun names for a helpful friend. Hi, Mignon. This is Kate from Colorado, and my friend Anna from Louisiana and I were discussing the word commiserate the other day. And we had both used it in the context of really experiencing the same situation or feeling the pain of somebody that um, expressed a difficult situation. So if we were commiserating about work, it was that we were sharing in that sorrow or difficulty together. Uh, But we also recognize that the dictionary definition simply says to sympathize or to empathize or have pity. And that gives the impression of being outside of the situation and um, expressing sympathy or sorrow for what they're experiencing. So is are we using it incorrectly? And is there a different word that we should be using? Because you could simply say, oh, I relate to you. But that doesn't have the same connotation. For me, commiserate has always had that connotation of sharing in it with that person. Um, and I, I think I've used it in the context of like, oh, yeah, we sat, we drank beer and commiserated about the week. Uh, but I don't know that we're using it correctly. So I would love to hear your input on that. Thanks so much. Love the show. Bye. Thanks for the question, Kate. So do you commiserate about an experience? Do you commiserate someone? Do you commiserate with someone? Well, the answer is all of the above. Let's start at the beginning. Commiserate means to feel pity or compassion about a person's misfortune. It comes from the Latin commiserati, meaning to pity or bewail. That word, in turn, is a mashup of calm, meaning together or in combination, and miser, meaning unhappy, wretched, or in distress. Other words that come from this root include miserable, meaning wretchedly unhappy, and misery, meaning a state of great sorrow, misfortune, or distress. Interestingly enough, another related word is miser, meaning a covetous person who hoards their money. This meaning seems to rely on a belief that pinching pennies and refusing to share your wealth will lead to unhappiness. Charles Dickens' Ebenezer Scrooge is a fictional example of this belief. A real-life example is Hetty Green, a 19th-century American financier known as the Witch of Wall Street. Although Green was a multimillionaire, she wore ragged clothes, went to charity clinics instead of regular doctors, and supposedly refused to treat her son's leg when it was injured, leading to its eventual amputation. I think we can guess that Hetty was indeed pretty darn unhappy. But back to our original question, how do we properly use the word commiserate? Well, there are a few options. We can use it as a transitive verb, meaning to bemoan or lament, as in, I commiserate the state of your bedroom. It looks like you haven't cleaned it in months. We can use it to mean that we're expressing sympathy for someone, as in, I commiserate the rest of your family for having to deal with your disgusting bedroom. Both of these usages are valid, but they're somewhat rare. Today, it's more common to hear commiserate used in these two ways. 
We can use it as an intransitive verb, meaning to sympathize with another person or to share a common complaint. For example, the two teenagers commiserated about how often their parents nagged them to clean, or the parents met for coffee to commiserate about their messy children. We can also use it to mean that we're sympathizing with another person. For example, the middle schoolers hid in the treehouse and commiserated with each other about the row taking place between their parents and their siblings. And the dogs commiserated with the parents, snuggling up to them on the couch as if to say, we understand how you feel. Saying you commiserate with someone is the most common way the word is used today. So you aren't using it incorrectly, Kate. You're using it in one of the more common ways. It's just that there are other ways to use it, too. Thanks for asking. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. I got my flu shot this week, and it reminded me of the interesting origin of the word influenza. It comes from Latin and the idea that our well-being is influenced by the stars. The Latin word influentia meant to flow into, and according to worldwide words, in the astrological sense, influence referred to, quote, an ethereal fluid given off by the stars that was supposed to affect humans, unquote. At first, influenza referred to any number of diseases. For example, you can find references that call scarlet fever influenza di febbre scarlatina. Multiple sources say the word influenza came to English directly from Italian after one particularly severe disease outbreak that started in Italy in the early 1740s and spread throughout Europe. The first example in the Oxford English Dictionary is from a 1743 edition of the London Magazine and reads, quote, News from Rome of a contagious distemper raging there called the influenza, unquote. It seems the name spread along with the disease. Also, the shortened version, flu, is spelled F-L-U today, but was originally spelled F-L-U-E. Malaria is another disease name borrowed directly from Italian. Today, we know it's caused by protozoans that infect you when you're bitten by mosquitoes. But the name means bad air, because in the 1700s, people just knew that it was a disease that spread in hot, marshy areas with presumably bad air. And you'll recognize that mal prefix in a lot of words once you think about it. It means things like bad, wrong, and improper. People can be maltreated, maladjusted, or malcontent. People can commit malpractice or malfeasance. Malevolence means bad wishing. And if you have a malaise, you're in a bad ease. And malady comes from parts that roughly mean a badness that is had or received. Moving on, mumps also has an interesting origin. It's caused by a paramyxovirus and makes your salivary glands swell, which makes your face and neck look puffy and can make it painful to chew or swallow. The name seems to come from the way people look when they're infected, because before mumps was the name of a disease, it was a verb that meant to grimace or mumble, and in Scottish English, it can mean to grumble or complain. The OED says it now often appears in the phrase to mump and moan, as in, you aren't going to mump and moan about the high price of cheese, are you? 
It also meant to have a fit of melancholy or ill humor, and the OED suggests comparing it to this other delightful word, mubblefubbles, which was a 16th century term for being depressed or in low spirits, as in, she's in her mubblefubbles. The story of rubella's name is simple but interesting. The viral infection is also called the German measles, but the name rubella comes from the Latin word for reddish, because people who are infected often get a bad red rash. Rubellus is the same root that gives us the words rubric and rust. And finally, believe it or not, the name measles can actually be traced back to the same Latin root that gave us commiserate, the root that meant unhappy, wretched, or in distress, and also gave us the words misery and miser. How's that for what one of my college English professors called whole circle fullness? It's not the origin. The actual origin of the name measles comes from a similar word that meant blood blister or red spot in a lot of old Germanic languages, like the Middle Dutch word mazel. But both the Oxford English Dictionary and Edam Online say the pronunciation and spelling of measles were heavily influenced by the word that meant misery. And you may never have made the connection, I never did, but measly, meaning small, is in I can't believe I delivered pizza in the snow for those measly tips, is the very same word as measly, meaning infected with measles. It just took on an additional colloquial use to also describe things that are insultingly small. It would never have occurred to me that the two words are related, but there you go. Finally, I have a family-act story from Jinxie. Hi, Mignon. My name's Jinxie, and I'm calling about a great family-act story. My best friend lives in the apartment above me, and we have a silly way of referring to ourselves and each other. See, I am the person who watches her kid, and she is the person who does things like get me pretty things. And I also fix things for her. I do all the things a husband would do, like hang her pictures, fix things around the house, work on her car, and she'll buy me nice things and lend me money or work. She does work and I'm the stay-at-home dad kind of person for her, and we're just platonic friends for life. So she is my mice, M-Y-S-E, and I am her husband, H-E-R-S-B-A-N-D. We are husband and mice. Hope that Sanilex story is something fun for you, and maybe somebody else is platonic husband and mice out there too. Bye. Thanks for sharing your story, Jinxie. I think you are so very lucky to have such a good friend. We include the number for the voicemail line in every Grammar Girl newsletter. So if you want to call and can never remember the number, sign up for the newsletter, which you can do at quickanddirtytips.com. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. Thanks to my audio engineer, Nathan Sams, and my editor, Adam Cecil. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller, who is trying to teach her kitten how to walk on its hind legs. And our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. That's all. Thanks for listening. Listener.